it would be a slap in the face to a lot of people that played this game. Mark Burley would always make some kind of joke about me coming out there. That was one of the more asinine things that you could do as a player. I think this is probably going to be the biggest disagreement we've had so far. Welcome to episode 9 of Digging In with JPR and Sebia. I'm your host as always, Nick Ashbourne, and today on the podcast we are joined by Pete Walker, current Blue Jays pitching coach, former Blue Jays pitcher, and guys just has a reputation as being a certified beauty, and we're going to see that in this uh, episode. Anybody that rocks a Fu Manchu uh, as a regular, it's not just for fun. It's, this is a regular, he's, he's had it since I've been around him, you know he's got to be a beauty, so... Uh, this guy was obviously a pitching coach when I was there and uh, is, is a, is, I would consider him a friend of mine and he's a, he's a great guy and one of the, the better uh, pitching guys that I've ever been around. So it'll be uh, fun to talk to him. In episode four of the podcast, we made a big deal describing how JP was making sacrifices because he was in Maui and it was early in the morning. So I want to acknowledge a sacrifice that I'm making right now, which is I'm sitting in a room and there's no World Cup that I can see. Right now, Switzerland, Sweden's going on. I'm going to find out who my beloved English team could potentially play. Um, I'm on pins and needles, but for you guys, uh, you can black me out of that. I have to focus on baseball, I guess. That's a sacrifice? you got to be kidding me. I, I was in another freaking time zone, like three times <laughs> down, getting up at five in the morning, and you're going to say that compare a sacrifice of not watching a world cup game the world cup only happens once every four years man it's that's serious and, and england uh, has got an interesting path right now it's an exciting time uh whatever all right so let's get it going okay so this is uh you know maybe it's a cliche topic maybe it's something's been done before but the reality is jose bautista friend of the podcast is coming to toronto today and so it's time to talk about where Jose lands in sort of the pantheon of Blue Jays greats. I feel like this is going to be a barroom debate that people are going to be having for decades. People are going to have it with their kids who didn't even see Jose Bautista. We're going to have it right now. I'll throw to you, JP. In the pre-podcast taping, we got the impression that we might be on different sides of the fence here. So I'll, I'll let you start it off. Blue Jays greats, where do you see Jose on that list? Well, first off, Jose is one of my good friends, and I defend him to the nth degree. But I, it's tough to me to say, like, hey, okay, Jose's a, a ring of excellence guy. I think there's some guys that are ahead of him. I mean, that's not saying that he can't be up there. I truly believe he made baseball fun in Canada again in Toronto because when I got called up to the big leagues, the really, the really the reason why people were following baseball was because he was hitting over 50 homers and he, and we had the home run King in Canada and he brought butts to the seats because if it wasn't for him, there would have been no one in the crowd. So I, I, I think that he did a phenomenal thing and obviously hit one of the biggest home runs in franchise history, taking them into the playoffs. I think he's obviously up there. He's, he's second in home runs, you know, home runs is huge. He's up there in doubles. He's up there in games played. But I think the argument for me is, yeah, can he get in there? Yes. All right. Vernon. He will. Like, I can guarantee you that he will be in the ring of excellence. Okay, There's so no then, doubt about okay, it. Okay, so then what about Vernon Wells? Vernon Wells has a higher average, more games played, has more RBIs. I mean, he's this guy is a guy who, in his time, was 
arguably the best player in Major League Baseball. I'm not saying like just being like, okay, he was arguably the best player in Major League Baseball, winning go go gloves, hitting over 300, hitting homers, driving in 100, over 100 yard uh, RBIs. So you can tell me, my that's my debate is, you have a guy who played 1,300 games and a guy that played 1,200 games. Almost Vernon Wells almost played 1,400 games. He has more RBIs than Jose Bautista by, uh, I would say, 45 RBIs or uh, 75 RBIs, excuse me. He's got a little less of an OPS. He's got a higher total batting average. He's second in history of the Blue Jays in doubles which is much for much more. He's got a w- over 100 more doubles than, than Jose Bautista. And he was really, if you think about it, I mean, this guy was the fir- one of the first, I don't know, maybe if the first, $100 million player for the Toronto Blue Jays. So listen, do I think Jose did a lot of great things for Toronto? And is he one of the best players to ever put on the uniform? No doubt. Do I think he can be in the ring of excellence or he will 100% be whatever? Yes, but I think Vernon Wells gets the nod before Jose. I uh, I think this is probably going to be the biggest disagreement we've had so far. Because for me, Jose Bautista and Vernon Wells, Jose Bautista in his prime and Vernon Wells are, I'm not going to say light. Vernon Wells was a very good player. Vernon Wells was a very good player. He played no, no, good he defense. Was, he was the best player in his time. During his time, he was, he was considered the, literally the best player, one of the best players in the game. He wasn't the best player in the game. You know, A-Rod was going at that time. He was awesome. Like, the, Vernon Wells played during part of Barry Bonds' prime. Like, at no time, like, Vernon Wells is the best player in baseball. I think that's got to be a stretch. Jose Bautista, on the other hand, might have been for, I think in 2011, he deserved the MVP. Like, that was taken from him. I'm surprised he didn't win that time. And I think there was an argument he made for a couple of years that Bautista, sort of 2010, 2011, especially was the best hitter in the game like he's gonna there are some stats that aren't gonna like Jose Bautista like batting average is not gonna like Jose Bautista because he yanked the ball he was easy to defend he hit a lot of pop-ups but because he walked so much it almost didn't matter because he hits for so much power it almost didn't matter and for me if we're talking about Blue Jays greats for me number one's Roy Halladay guy best pitcher in baseball for a decade I don't think the Blue Jays had anyone like that Number two, probably Robbie Alomar, you know, guy going to Hall of Fame with a Blue Jays cap. That's huge. And obviously being involved in those World Series wins. But I don't know if there's someone I'm putting at number three above Jose Bautista. Such a good hitter. So successful. Obviously, he had that iconic home run. It's tough because you don't know how much to wait guys who are involved in the world series years, but Jose Bautista for me, is right. He's right there. He's right I mean, there. Yeah. He's right there. But I think Vernon Wells is ahead of him. You have a Vernon Wells. Like I said, Vernon Wells is a guy. And I know that you're saying that he wasn't one of the best players in the game, but listen, bull, bull crap. Because one, this guy wasn't taking steroids Two, you're talking about a guy that hit 49 doubles, 33 homers, 117 RBIs with a 317 average. Now pull up any Jose Bautista that's close to that. Now you and this is he the year before he went 34 doubles, 23 homers, 100 ribbies, 275. There's another year that he went 40 doubles, 32 homers, 106 RBIs, 303 average. And that's being one of the best gold glove defenders in center field. Gold glove defenders. 
Now, Jose Bautista was a phenomenal defender, was never a gold glove defender like Vernon Wells, what he did out there. So talking to guys, like I've had these conversations, they're like, dude, honestly, Vernon Wells was like a Pujols before Pujols. They said they, he was the, one of the, the most feared hitters in all of baseball. So you're, if you're talking to me about a guy who deserves it, in the sense of he got drafted by the Blue Jays in 99, and his last season was 2010. This guy, did, this guy was the face of the franchise. Again, over $100 million. And, you, and if you're going to go to the, all the OPS stuff and all that crap, does Jose have a higher OPS overall? I believe that in the, in the career for the Blue Jays, I'm pretty sure that Jose probably has a higher OPS. But his numbers, when you calculate defense – and you calculate that package of a guy hitting over 300 with over 30 home runs and over 40 doubles, Jose does not come close to him. I mean, first of all, there's no chance I suspected that today my day was going to begin with a Jose Bautista-Vernon Wells debate. That's not where I thought we were going with this at all. I'm fine. We're, gonna t- we're taking it there. That's okay. But that's not what I expected. Well, I Secondly, mean, that, that's fine. But this is, uh, you know, I think what this kind of comes down to is it's sort of, uh, you know, it's about old school versus new school stats, right? It's about Bautista walking, you know, almost twice as much as Vernon Wells. In fact, more than twice as much as Vernon Wells. Bautista hitting for that kind of bigger power. And so Vernon Wells had some things, you know, like his high averages, like the fact that he could steal bases and things like that, that were impressive, but I don't think were as valuable as I think like Jose Bautista's 2011 season was just insane. And the fact he didn't win the MVP that year was ridiculous. 447 on base that year. Like that's Barry Bonds ish territory. He's walking 20% of the time and he hits 43 home runs, which is way more than Wells's best season was what 33 home runs. So for me, and again, I don't want it to sound like I'm being down on Vernon Wells because a lot of Blue Jays fans I think have been really unfair to Vernon Wells because he signed that huge contract I think they blamed him for the team not succeeding and whatnot but for me Vernon Wells great Blue Jay Jose Bautista like one of the greatest Blue Jays see I, I I think you look at the numbers Vernon Wells is one of the greatest Blue Jays and also again you, you're not putting into it defense because if you're going to if we're going to be these this de- era he's if he was in a stat cast he'd be one of the best defenders in baseball he won multiple gold gloves Jose Bautista didn't win any gold gloves which again I think that he's listen you're talking about one of the guys that I think is the best players I've ever got to play with I mean the guy and I and I fight again I fight for him he's one of my best teammates of all time and I'm not saying he doesn't get in I'm saying Vernon gets in before him. It, they have they, people, especially nowadays. People have to be able to back away from oh, okay, how it ended there, and look at what he did when he was in his prime. Dude, the guy was unbelievable. And yeah, okay, Jose had Jose had a phenomenal year. For me, his best year was like you said, 2011, right? 24, but he, he 24 doubles, 43 homers, 103 RBIs. Okay. And so that's good. But, but Bautista's RBIs are never going to look as good he, as he was because he walked so much. So often, like, big situations would come up, and then he would take a walk, and then it would be Eddie who would be driving them home. That's not Bautista's fault. He was doing his job. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not Bautista's fault, but also Vernon, did Vernon have somebody behind him like Edwin Encarnacion? He, he hit third in front of Delgado a couple of years, but yeah, a lot of the time, though, he was definitely the focal point of that A hundred percent. So there's, there's difference. And then plus, again, now if you're going to tell me the circle of excellence is only based solely on offensive stats, okay. But again, you're talking about probably one of the most well-rounded players in the history of the Blue Jays. And I think, again, that he's a guy who, because of the way he finished, people are like, oh, whatever. But if you look at his numbers, this guy was one of the best players in Major League Baseball for a long time. And, he, and statistically, he's up there in every category. And in a lot of them, he's in front of Jose. All right. Well, I'm not, I'm not looking to lock out Vernon Wells necessarily. I do think Bautista's on a different plane. I also think that we're going to end up in a agree to disagree scenario here because I I'm not going to move my, from my ground. I think that there's a decent gap. I think you think that there's a decent gap. So right now we are going to be joined by uh, Pete Walker. Maybe he can be a peacemaker and help uh, put our relationship back together after this uh, debate. I know he's that kind of guy. He's got that calm demeanor. Former Blue Jay, current Blue Jays pitching coach. And as JP mentioned before, Fu Manchu aficionado. Maybe not quite a Fu Manchu. It doesn't come off the chin at the bottom, but, you know, close enough. We'll call it close enough. So here he is joining us by phone. So, Pete, after yesterday's start by Ryan Barucki, incredibly impressive outing, uh, I asked him about the breaking ball because it seems like he's been a fastball changeup guy normally in the past. But in that game, he used it a lot more. He had some success with it, getting people in the dirt. And he said that you and him had had a talk about the importance of staying over the ball. So I wanted to ask you yeah. about the conversation you had with him, how that's helped him, and what you're seeing from a guy who's really opening some eyes for this team. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic uh, in, in, in two two outings so far, really. You know, to, to do what he did against Houston – um, with the nerves, the anxiety of, of ma- making your major league debut against, you know, the team that won the World Series. So, um, you know, that was difficult to get through, and he got through it with flying colors, you know. He missed side fastballs. Um, his fastball command wasn't as good as it can be, uh, for sure. Uh, but he got through it and, and ended up with good results, and that led into, you know, yesterday's start, and he was fantastic. He came on top of that curveball. You know, it's, it's more of a slider curve. It's in between. I don't really know what you call it yet. Um, but it's, uh, you know, when he's on top of it and burying it and, uh, you know, maybe backdooring at the righties and then burying it that feed, it's a really effective pitch. Uh, but his bread and butter is his, his well-commanded fastball and that changeup. You know, those, those, those are his primary pitches. I am happy uh, to hear you say, sorry, you cut out for a oh, second. I wanted to say, I'm happy to hear you say you're a little bit confused about the curveball slider distinction because that's been like a big yeah. debate of what exactly that pitch is. So the fact that you don't know as well makes me feel a lot more comfortable with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's morphed into, it's a breaking ball. Um, you know, it's not that nasty 85, 86 mile an hour slider. Um, and it's, it's not a true breaking curve ball, you know, 12, six curve ball. It's kind of in between. Uh, he varies his speeds with it though. You know, he'll, he'll kind of he'll get a little get me over breaking ball at 78, 79, and then he'll bury one at 80, you know, so it's you know, 80, 81. So, he uses it effectively, and, and again, it's a it's a short sample size to see him. You know, uh, we've seen video. I've seen him in spring training, and I love his composure. I love the way he carries himself. So, you know, the way he handled himself yesterday against a good Tigers lineup against left-handed pitching was it was really good to see. Him. Pete, we've been able to uh, obviously evolve 
with analytics and stuff like that. One of the one of the stories I've I've said on here is a is a pitcher who had talked to me and said, you know, he didn't trust his curveball, but analytically they said, hey, you have one of the top curveballs in baseball, and then he was able to start using it more. How much now have you evolved? be from when you played to now to go okay there's the eye test but then there's also some kind of data now that can tell you hey this is a super above average pitch that maybe we need to throw and and how do you juggle that that's a great great point it's it's very true um obviously the eye test is important but there are some data-driven numbers that you know that are that are eye-opening as well and, and marco Estrada is a good example you know his curveball um in his mind was never a great pitch uh, but the numbers say differently. And, you know, obviously it's a pitch they didn't use a lot. So, you know, hitters didn't see it a lot. And sometimes if the pitch isn't real effective, if you, if you use it sparingly, you can get away with it. But, but his curveball, you know, the numbers were good. We've used it a little bit more um, this season, and especially lately. Uh, and it's, you know, sometimes the players need to hear that and see it uh, in order to understand that. But um, that is true. And we, we look at that every day. You know, we have great, a great uh, analytics team. And, and, you know, I constantly get some numbers from upstairs and I go back and forth. And, we, we, you know, we look into things uh, with video as well. But, um, you know, if, if something is glaring, we're definitely going to try to utilize it and, and see if we can get a little bit more out of somebody for sure. Pete, speaking on those trends and the analytics, one thing that has caused a little bit of alarm recently, we've had a couple months in the MLB with more strikeouts and hits. And the term strikeout yeah. scourge has started to come and go. I'm just wondering, as someone who lives kind of exclusively on the pitching side and is a pitching coach and talk to, talks to pitchers, how do people on that side of the game view this strikeout spike? Because I think in general, a lot of fans and people are worried about it. But I mean, in a sense, it must be kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, we just we just go about our business. You know, sometimes you hear those numbers and, and you know, it kind of wakes you up a little bit. But uh, we're just trying to make pitches, to be honest with you. And, you know, we're aware that, that strikeouts are up, that there's uh, a vulnerability to expand the strike zone in certain counts with certain guys. And, and pitchers, you know, from an analytical standpoint, you find weaknesses um, that are glaring with hitters, and you need to exploit them. Um, you know, sometimes you, you go away from pitcher strengths uh, to do that, but it seems to be working um, across the board. Uh, you know, guys are trying to, you know, lift the ball and drive the ball out of the yard. Um, you know, home runs are certainly up. Um, and the ball is definitely flying. So, you know, above the strike zone, you know, expanding the top of the zone, um, up and in, uh, you know, up and out, uh, you know, is, is kind of new age. And, you know, it's something that, you know, you saw in the past, of course, but, you know, with, with the, the new launch angles and the, the, the focus on that, the, definitely the top of the zone is, is a priority uh, for some pitchers. And if you can do that effectively and expand up and out, and, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of swing miss and more weak contact up there. Well, and, and I'm sure too, because I remember when I first got to the league, uh, Bruce Walton, Pappy, it was everything was pound down, pound down, pan, pound down. And so now you see all the elevated fastballs back. When you played, I'm sure you guys also had the elevated fastball, but now it's at a premium. Do you ever think that eventually, eventually tides will change where, all right, now guys are trying to just attack the, the, the top of the zone and, and we're going to have to evolve back to the bottom of the zone? Or, or is this just going to be something where it's tough to get up there? It's, you know, I just think it's tough for hitters to get up there consistently with a bat, you know, in that top of the strike zone and, and up and, and for them to decipher a ball and a strike, you know, because there, there are certainly some calls at the top of the zone. You see players kind of shake their head like, wow, you know, is, is that the top of the zone or what? And then it forces them to swing up there. But, you know, certainly when, when I pitched, it was down in the zone. Everything is down. They're focusing down. Sinkers, you know, four seamers down, breaking balls down. Um, I wish I wish I utilized the top of the zone, you know, because I wasn't a power guy. 
And, you know, it, to get guys off of that, uh, that fastball a little bit, to be able to elevate and change their eyes is crucial. So, you know, Jay Happ's a prime example. You know, he was always a four-seam guy, pitched up in the zone, pitched in, and was very effective with that fastball. And in the last couple of years, he's been sinking it, two-seaming it down in the zone, and then raising their eyes with a four-seamer up. And, it, and that's why he's really he's taken off and become an elite pitcher. Pete, you've provided us a lot of sort of serious and very real insight that we appreciate, but on this show, we like to get a little bit weirder <laughs> yeah, as well. Serious, yeah. So okay. way, way too serious. No. So I want to ask you a question based on something that has been an issue on this podcast, okay. which for me has been facial hair. I've made yeah. a lot of changes and JP has made certain criticisms. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask you about your mustache. When yeah. did it start? When did you decide to lock it in for life? And, uh, <laughs> Has it caused any issues in, yeah. in your life today? No, my, my wife's accepted it. My family's accepted it. Uh, you know, I'm not the... That's most, important. <laughs> that is important. Um, you know, it, it used to be a goatee, a full goatee, but the, the dark uh, the dark bottom turned to white and gray. So I kind of shaved that off and just went with the silver tips, the Fu Manchu silver tips. Um, you know, Self Asano and I spent some time together, and he had one as well. His was a lot thicker, uh, but we used to have little competitions on who could keep it keep it neater. Uh, you know, he got a little out of control with it at times, but you know, I always like to keep my neat, uh, a little bit thinner than his. And, uh, you know, I think it's a little more sleek. Uh, his is definitely a little messier. Well, and I, and I've always loved that you can rock the, the handlebars and, and still be as good, as good looking as you are. Uh, you, we, we, we've gotten into some funny conversations as well here and people don't realize all mound visits aren't serious, right? Like there's times where you have to just kind of what in your career as a, as a player or as a coach, what has been the most outlandish thing that has been said on the mound? Uh, you know what? I, they, nothing really jumps out, but I mean, there are definitely some funny comments out there and some funny things that guys, you know, say, and you know, when you, you make that visit, sometimes it's a serious moment. Obviously you're talking about a hitter that's coming up from the on deck circle and you got to get some information out there that they, they're not familiar with or the, for the catcher as well. But, you know, sometimes it's just to break the ice. It's a tough situation. You know, you got bases loaded one out, even Ryan Barucki yesterday where it wasn't comical, but it was very low key. It's just like, Hey, you know, time to, time to make a big pitch right here. You know, you're capable of doing this, keep the ball down, get a ground ball. Uh, but you know, Mark Burley would always, you know, make some kind of joke about me coming out there. Or, you know, it's about time he came out here. I'm pitching, I'm pitching absolutely horrible. What, what have you been waiting for? You know, that kind of thing. But you know, no, no nothing that really stands out that's, yeah, that'll knock your socks off. Well, and Pete, and I think here's here's another thing. I, obviously, I want to give a shout out to the fam because your fam is awesome, and uh, one of your daughters is one of the strongest people on the planet. And so, for me, uh, if people don't know that story, and if if you want to share, you can. If not, my biggest question is is how being able to watch your daughter go with what she went through, and then being able to go, man, this is baseball. At the you know, there's there's life and there's baseball. I think I think you know that's an eye opener and and something that that people don't really get to, to know the human side of us. Yeah, it's just perspective. Obviously, I have a daughter that's been through quite a bit. You know, she had bone cancer, had a number of surgeries, limb salvage surgery. She just received the National High School Spirit of Sport Award in Chicago, to be honest with you, and it was an unbelievable event. Uh, extremely proud of her resilience and, and how she's persevered through an incredibly difficult time. Um, she's headed to the University of Miami. She was able to compete in varsity softball this past year, and it's just incredible. So, you know, I remind my guys, and it reminds me, you know, personally, um, perspective. And, you know, we play this game. We love the game. And, you know, you have some tough days. You go for four. You give it up on the mound. 
But in the end, you know, there, there are a lot more uh, uh, tougher issues in the world and, and what people are dealing with. So you got to remember that. And it kind of brings you back down to earth a little bit and it, it you know, can refocus you on, on your task and your job and realizing it's not the end of the world when, when something doesn't go right. Pete, we really appreciate your time. Before you go, yeah. uh, I have one statement I need to confirm with you. There's a claim that JP has made and yeah. I need a corroborating witness. So JP said, and you shared a bullpen with this guy, so you can confirm, <laughs> BJ Ryan's head is the biggest head he's ever seen on on a human being. Is that is that a fact? Oh boy, that is that is a that is a tough call. I haven't talked to BJ in a while, so uh, you know I, I could probably confirm that it's a large cranium. Um, you know JP's right on there, <laughs> right on there. There's been a few other you know large large heads in the game. Obviously Bruce Pochi, um, you know. But BJ Ryan's definitely uh, probably top of the list. All right, Pete, thanks a lot for joining us again. We appreciate it. We know uh, you have a busy schedule and uh, uh, you provide some really cool insight today. <laughs> you got it, guys. Anytime. Talk to you soon. All right, Pete. So I think that my prediction with Pete Walker in terms of him bringing calming presence was very true. The guy's actually got a great, I think he's got a great voice for radio. I think he went in the wrong direction with the coaching thing. I think he could, he could be on the Fan 590. Well, he, he uh, I th- they, they wanted him to do the, uh, how do you, I think pre and post game stuff. They had asked him about some pre and post games. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him doing that. He's definitely, and he's got the mind for it too. I wanted to know a little bit more about the mustache origin story. I wanted to know when, like the moment he decided that that was a look and he kind of dodged that question a little bit, but uh, overall, great guy. He is he is one of the best, honestly. And for me, what, what makes him special, I think too, is he understands the toughness of the game. And I think what, honestly, the best coaches are guys that weren't like superstars. Like if you look at his career, obviously, what, I mean, yeah, he threw like in the 80s and he had a kind of a little splitter. Like he was a fine enough long reliever, but he wasn't a superstar. No, and he didn't. I mean, he played, uh, I don't know, however, eight years in professional baseball in the big leagues or whatever. And I think you look at that and you go, man, uh, if if he can do that and struggle and be good and have to battle with what he has, I think he put it's better perspective for pitchers because he's not going to be like uh, a guy who just goes, dude, you got to throw the ball in and I, you know, just throw slider is for example, Jack Morris, who was an absolute, obviously a hall of famer and a star. We used to talk pitching and it was when he would talk, it said, it seemed easier to him, but obviously so because this guy was one of the best of all time. So when you have a guy like Pete Walker, it's a lot better to be able to have as a coach, because I think, you know, he can, he can, be with you and and be more real on a surface level than most people can because he he struggled he understands that how hard it is yeah well it's like Wayne Gretzky tried to coach with the Coyotes and that he kind of crashed and burned doing that and I think part of the reason is probably because he might have had a hard time relating to some of the struggles that his players were going through So today, memory lane. Uh, this is something I was curious about while I was at the game on Sunday, I suppose. So I wanted to ask you about Canada Day at Rogers Center because it's always been this huge event. They often sell it out or come close to selling it out, even in seasons where the team's not competitive. 
everyone wears red. They make a huge deal of it. Um, and I was wondering how that is for the players in the sense that, you know, there, there are a couple Canadians on the Blue Jays, but for most of them, it's not anything they grew up with whatsoever, right? So I wanted to ask you about your experiences playing on Canada Day. Is that something memorable because it was kind of event? Was it kind of weird to be celebrating something that you had no connection to in such a strong way? I saw, I looked it up. I saw you did have a home yep, run against, on Canada yep, Day against, one against time. Against I'm pretty sure, Jason. That's not, not, that's not your trivia, though. No points well, for that. Yeah, but, uh, I it did. deep. Uh, so I want, yeah, I just want to get a sense from you. Like, what are your memories playing on that day and kind of being a part of that event in Toronto? Honestly, it was a lot of us really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I would say almost everybody. I, I would, I would kind of be surprised if somebody didn't enjoy it. One, people love the red uniforms. We really did enjoy the red uniforms. And we had actually talked about like going, man, we should wear these more every once in a while. We really enjoyed the red uniform. So that was one thing. Uh, another thing is, is a lot of us realize, man, you, you have the opportunity to play for a country, right? So it doesn't, it's not lost on us that you're not just a team in the States that plays for one city. Uh, you're really the team that plays for an entire country. And so there's a lot of history in that country. And also, don't forget, we're getting paid a very hefty living because of this this country and the opportunities that it's giving us as a player. So we we are very, very cognizant of that. And we're, we're super excited to be able to share that. And, and I mean, for us, almost it's a double whammy. It's another reason to party because you have obviously Canada Day. And then right after we have our Independence Day, July 4th. So it's like we got a double party. And it's even better sometimes when you would play at home on Canada Day and then you'd be on the road for July 4th in the States because you get to kind of really experience it both. But, man, it is so special. And, again, we all loved it. The The crowd was obviously insane every Canada Day, regardless of what we were doing. And, uh, unfortunately, I, I hated that the, the roof had to be closed because it it's so hot up there. Um, but, you know, it was special to us. And, again, like I said, we really enjoyed the red uniforms. And it was something that we said, like, man, why don't, why don't we kind of put this in every once in a while because it, it, it's a cool-looking u- uniform for us. I'm going to give you a hot take, which is that I really don't like the red uniforms. Um, first of all, the team is called the Blue Jays. Blue is in the name, and it pertains to a specific bird, which is not okay. red. And then secondly, it's a jersey that's worn once a year. So uh, there's a cynic in me where I'm like, oh, that's, a, that's to sell a different jer-. It's kind of like soccer teams have like a million different jerseys they're trying to oh, sell. Yeah. In the I'm minor like, leagues. Oh, well, that, they're just trying to sell another jersey. And they do sell it. There's tons of people oh, who wear uh, it. But I'm just, it feels like a bit of a money well, grab uh, no, to me. I hear, here's, here's why I think guys like it. It's because it's not the usual, right? Like think about it. Every single day. You put on a uniform, you put on a uniform, all of a sudden you get to put on a different color. It, like, it, it, it you know, it kind of mixes it up a little bit. So I think that's why guys kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I get the the part of, you know, hey, this is a, another jersey. You can buy this jersey or, oh, you only use it once, a, once a, a year. But I think at the end of the day, if you can and you can put it together to where maybe there's a few more of those that you have during the season to appreciate because – your flag is white and red and so we are playing for an entire country so i mean it 
I think that Canada has way more pride in their country a lot of the times that I have been uh, than I see in the United States. So I, that's why I think people really enjoy it. And I did want to, you mentioned this kind of briefly, I wanted to touch on uh, July 4th and what that's like if you're, maybe if you're a Blue Jays player and you're going to a, I don't know, whatever, you're in Cleveland or whatever and they have a celebration or maybe you're, I guess the Blue Jays schedule, they're probably generally away, but I guess this time they're not. What if you're at home in Toronto and it's Independence Day? Is that still something that guys will do something for? Or does that kind of get lost in the wash? A well, obviously, guys still do something for. If you see the, if you saw the the Detroit Tigers, you saw their socks yesterday. You saw the catchers. The, oh yeah, and the, the catchers, catchers gear, gear and stuff like all... that. So I mean, guys are still going to celebrate it, right? Regardless of where you're at. I mean, if if you have any kind of pride in your country, you're going to celebrate it. But um, obviously, it's just the difference is is in Canada, you might not get the. Uh, fireworks per se or like the certain things that the, the festivities that you would get in the united states but i mean you still you still definitely celebrate it and if you don't celebrate it at the time if you're in canada playing you know most of the time i'm sure those guys will go back and be able to have fireworks and kind of because there's a lot of people that have tradition obviously there's some people i don't know if you remember this edwin edwin got encarnacion got burnt up pretty bad by a firework like intensive care pretty bad oh yeah yeah that one year and it was yeah, and it was really that. really bad so also you know you have to be smart i've seen way too many videos recently on uh, the social medias of of fireworks gone bad so you know now you have to just be safe with it but i mean most people have a lot of fun yeah, you could do fireworks. You can always fire up the grill. Uh, you could go to a hot dog stand and order every single hot dog off of it. You know, there's always, you know, a way to celebrate Independence yeah. Day. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's cool. And again, I, I if I could go back to every Canada Day and be in Rogers Centre, I would because that place is freaking jumping on Canada Day. And I'm sure everywhere else around this, the, the uh, stadium and patios and bars are jumping – and I would love to mix it up on Canada Day with the the old Canadian folk. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. Did you have on some? Sunday did night, you have some brews? Did you have some alcohol uh, beverages? Yeah, I had a couple adult beverages. Yeah, I uh, spent some time on the beach after the game. After I'd completed my professional duties. Well, at a boy. Anyway, uh, for outside the nest today, looking at non Blue Jay storylines. Hopefully, I don't know, maybe this is the first time of many we discuss this. Maybe it's the first and last time. I wanted to bring up Tim Tebow today because he was named a double A All-Star. And and now there's a bunch of buzz about, you know, is a Mets team that's potentially falling out of it going to call him up? I just wanted to kind of get, I mean, I guess you kind of, you, you are, uh, you're summing it yeah. up pretty well right there. I want to get your take on what guys think of it in terms of his, teammates and things like that because i imagine it must be kind of frustrating for them to see him you know taking a job taking attention potentially getting a call up that someone else deserves yeah of course it's now now you want to talk about a money grab and you want to talk about just a freaking a propaganda here's propaganda number one and listen i'm not taking anything away from him as an athlete as a human being all that stuff he is an a plus obviously human being and he's obviously a good enough athlete that he can go out there and, and do decently. I wouldn't say good. I would say decently. Hold his own, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like eh, he's doing okay. In yeah, Dublin. he's doing okay. And so that's what At thirty. It's and that's what for me kind of 
makes me upset is it's not about Tim Tebow. It's about the kid whose job he's taken. There's somebody in that league that definitely deserved an all-star nod over Tim Tebow. But the only reason why it's, he's getting an all-star nod is because it's, some of it is a popularity thing, and they want to draw. I mean, it becomes money, right? Think about it. Here's another thing people don't realize is Tim Tebow makes money on his jerseys because he's not a part of the Players Association. So the Players Association, when your, money is, when your jersey is sold in the big leagues and you're a part of the Players Association, you get some of that money. So he gets, he gets the money of his own jersey because he's not a part of the PA and they're selling his jersey as a big league jersey, which to me, again, is a joke. It's an absolute joke because there's guys who literally sacrifice their entire life and don't have the opportunity to have a major league jersey. And a guy who literally just because he, his name is Tim Tebow and because he has a huge following, they're going to give him a jersey, a major league jersey, and people are going to go buy. So I think, I think it's kind of been a joke Sandy Alderson has even come out before and said that obviously it was a, you know, part of it, he wasn't going to lie. Part of it was uh, a pu- just like a pub- publicity thing. But for people to say, oh, call him up to the big leagues, F that, dude. You need to, first off, you have to be good enough in double A to get the op- opportunity to get to triple A. And when you get to triple A, you need to be good enough to get the call up to the big leagues because that's the way it is. And you, and it's a, and it's not a game where you just give it to people. It's that would be, I think that it would be a detriment. It would be a slap in the face to a lot of people that have played this game and a lot of pitchers and players and people, everyone kind of in baseball that I've ever talked to has felt the same way that it's a joke, man, because just because of his name, they give him an opportunity and it takes away from somebody who's probably deserving of it. And again, like you said, if his numbers were like, whoa, man, this guy's numbers are off the charts, then I'd say, okay, dude, he deserves it. But he doesn't. His numbers are not that good, and he doesn't deserve yeah, it. Yeah, and maybe that double-A all-star not, you know, that seems like maybe it's not the biggest thing, but maybe that's the thing that gets someone noticed within their organization. Like maybe a guy who's a little older is not a huge prospect, but suddenly like a 23-year-old, people are like, oh, wow, he is really killing it in double-A. Maybe we'll move him up. Maybe blah, blah, blah. So... It is a very small thing. It is only one job. It is only one all-star nod, but it could make the difference for somebody. Like somebody's life could be severely changed by the fact that Tim Tebow is out here doing this. Yeah, of course. And then again, to say the big league thing, dude, the big league thing is a joke. And if they call him up to the big leagues, it it'll is, be ugly. It'll, it's going to be really ugly it'll if be, he comes up to the big it'll leagues. It'll be ugly as a – he'll be brutal as a player, obviously. But bef- other than that, it's going to be ugly in the sense of, dude – Everybody's going to know. I think that it's, it's if you call up Tim Tebow and you're the Mets, you look like an absolute joke around the league because everybody knows that that is just a publicity stunt and that's just to, to get him up there to get more butts in the seats because other than that, there ain't other, there's not another reason. So it'll just, what it does is it kind of diminishes your brand as a baseball, as a baseball organization. And you're going to say like, Hey, I'm bringing up just people just cause, Oh, it's just because he's a, he's a big name. Well then if you want to do that, have fun because you're just admitting to everybody in baseball that you guys are a joke. Do you think people would throw at him? 
If he got called up, do you think pitchers would be annoyed enough with his presence that he'd get thrown out a bit? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that if they did anything, they would do stuff to move him. But I think, honestly, guys like Max Scherzer, I remember Max Scherzer in spring training just blew his doors down on three pitches. And I think that's, that's more what guys would want to do. Reach back like, for the extra couple yeah, ticks on the fastball. Yeah, like, just, go, just punch him out and be like, dude, get out of here. Like it, it, it does less, it does more to go and just dominate him than it would to just hit him. Cause I think that's, that's not right either. Just to hit a guy because, I mean, it's not his fault that they're, they're using him as a kind of a, of a gimmick, but you know, whatever, man. I, I, I think again, if the Mets bring him up, that shows that their organization is not serious and it's just a popularity thing. And that's unfortunate because it's more about somebody who has, pretty much sacrificed their entire life to get to the major leagues. Because if you get up to the, the major leagues, somebody has to go. There's got to be a roster spot. There's a finite number of spots. It's a zero-sum game. Someone's exactly. in, someone's out. So I think, I think that's the tough part. Here, speaking of this, and this is, off the, this is another thing that's a little bit off topic, is how upset would you be so Byron Buxton gets sent down, right? This is another thing that pisses me off. Byron Buxton gets sent down for who? George Polanco, because George Polanco got reinstated off the, the suspension list. What did he get suspended for? PEDs. How much, how much, how pissed off are you about that? If you're the player, if you're the player that's on the roster and you get sent down because some dude just got back from PED suspension and you're doing stuff all natural how fired up are you that that i think is another thing that i think is a joke well i mean i think it's awkward with any suspension situation i think we don't have to go too deep into this because there's a lot we don't know but with the osuna thing osuna comes back someone goes down right and if depending on what they think happened there like that's a piss off too anytime someone comes back from suspension it's kind of brutal because like we talked about there's there's only so many jobs so Someone did something wrong, and it's like now I have to pay the price, to, and I have to go back and ride the bus, and I gotta wait for some big leader to bring me any decent spread. And not just, not just, not just ride the bus, dude. You're talking about a difference between forty thousand dollars every two weeks to go and oh yeah, have fun with the you know the the couple thousand dollars a month. I mean that's a that's a big difference. Oh yeah, it's a whole it's a whole lifestyle change, I, and I think. Tebow is an interesting one because, like you said, it's not really his fault. And I think to some degree his quest, if you want to put it that way, is genuine. Like he's not making enough money doing this that he wouldn't be doing He's already has enough money. Yeah, he just he just wants to try to he wants to test it, which to- I dude, I, again for him I think is good. But it's nothing against him. I just think it's a joke that the Mets are facilitating it. Yeah, it's it, ultimately it's not his fault. I, I think that it's this is going to be a convoluted comparison, but like let's say that in in the Yahoo Sports office, someone brought in a guy and he, he's like re, he's famous for something totally unrelated. Like, oh, this guy's a famous chef. We're gonna have him write about baseball. Nick, like you go home. Like this guy's gonna write baseball. It's like, does he know about baseball? You know, a little bit. Like he's watched the games, but he, he and they'll like, but he's got you know a million Twitter followers for being a chef. We're going to get so many clicks off this guy. And that's kind of what the Tebow thing is. It's like, this guy's famous for something totally unrelated. So let's just take advantage of that fame because fame is fame 
and fame leads to tickets and money, and that's yeah, what. It and is. I think ultimately it becomes a joke and a, and kind of disrespectful to the guys in the game and the guys that have played the game and the ones that have never been able to make it and the ones that have fought for jobs. I think you look at Ru- Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is another example. All these guys they they bring Russell Wilson around. Like, listen, yeah, he's a he's a phenomenal player. All this stuff, he couldn't cut it in minor league baseball, so. The reason why he had to leave minor leagues to go play in the NFL is because he didn't see a future in the major leagues. So now, the, all of a sudden, this guy, teams are picking him up and tra- trading him and all this stuff. That Listen, I was with the Rangers when they had him in spring training. Was it cool to have him around? Great. You know what that was? The Rangers sold a ton of jerseys that were Russell Wilson jerseys. Whoa. Save that for another memory lane because I'm, first of all, be careful what you say about Russell Wilson because I'm a huge Seahawks fan. But I didn't say secondly, anything bad about him. In, in the abstract, I can uh, agree with you. And that sounds like a memory lane to me. But we got to finish it off here. You know what it is. It's JP Career Trivia. Right now, JP is sitting at 11 for 23. He's in a bit of a tailspin. So this episode, I'm going to give you one of the questions where you have opportunity to score four points, but it's only out of two. So you can get 200% on this question get yourself back in the game. This is going to touch on something we discussed in episode one. Uh, when we had Kevin Pillar on the episode, I try, I pointed out to him that in a single inning, he stole more bases than JP had stolen his entire career. And he was very diplomatic about the answer. I would have wanted him to go at JP a little bit more for that. So I want to talk about your two steals, JP, two career steals. And I'm going to give you four Four points if you can tell me the team and the pitcher of both steals, and then we'll talk about what you remember about them. Well, first, I'm gonna I'm only gonna get one part of this right. Um, because well, actually, I'm yeah, only one part of it because I always told told people that I only had one career stolen basis or one career stolen base. That's what I, I thought because I remember it like it was yesterday, but I can't tell you the pitcher because you're really not caring about the pitcher as much as the catcher which the catcher was John Jaso. So I can give you that information. I'll give you know what? You're you're in a hole. I'll give you a point for that. Pitcher or catcher, I'll give you a point. Okay. So it was John Jaso and it was against the the Devil Rays at the time, which are now the Rays. And it was a backdoor stolen base, so that means that there was a man, I was on first and there was a man on second. He stole, I stole on the backside, which usually you're supposed to get there easily which I did not get there easily. It was a bang-bang play at second base, and I had poop running down my leg because I was not Archie Bradley style, but like <laughs> figuratively speaking, because I was so scared that I thought I could see the shortstop's eyes light up like the ball was on its way, and I'm going, oh, shit, I need to get here quick. And I remember sliding and like my foot touching the bag and then the glove hitting my, my foot. And I was like, uh, I can't believe that this just happened. So that was, and it was a little bit scary, but I still got it. So that's the only one that I remember. I don't, I don't remember what the other one was. I, I imagine that the other one, because I didn't steal second more than once, I don't think. The other one had to have been me stealing third base. You are incorrect. It was? it was second. So the one, yeah, the one you just described was uh, August 29th, 2011. Brett Laurie steals third. You steal second, they throw to second, which is like a pretty big diss and pretty hilarious, but sometimes they do do that. First so off, the first off it's not a diss. It's, it's you know who the slow runner is, so you go after the slow runner. 
All right. And then the second time was April of the next year. You were following Lori again. This time, Lori went for home and you went for second, which sometimes the scoring on that can be wonky, but they did grant you the second base. So Lori stole home and then you stole second against the Royals. Well, so so let's 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 rephrase that because Lori didn't steal home. Lori went on me. So anytime it's first to third, and I don't remember this play because I obviously don't think I didn't remember because I didn't think it was a stolen base or don't think of it as a stolen base, but it's off of me. So I go and when the throw goes to second, he takes off home. So the reason the reason why it's not like he stole home and then I was able to steal second base. Well I just I, assumed based on the people involved that that's what no, happened. No, first and third I take off, and so when they throw to second, that's when he takes off. So he gets a stolen base because I stole second. I was kind of like the bait, so they tried to throw me out at second base as the bait, and then he takes off home, and what happens is I'm sure they didn't even worry about me. They tried to cut the ball off and throw it home, but knowing Brett Lowry, he was probably running down the third baseline like Bobby Boucher from the Waterboy, and he got there safely, and which allowed me to have a stolen base at second base because they didn't try to tag me. Yeah, I don't recall seeing that play. It's funny because Brett Lurie had the famous attempted steal of home with the bases loaded, right? Like that was a big, that was a whole big thing. It wasn't just big; it was one of the dumbest things. It, it was like it was like literally. <laughs> was it Bautista at the plate? Yeah, or someone, yeah, someone really good yeah, is at no, the plate too. I, I want to say it was either Bautista or Eddie, like that kind of yeah. player, and he tried to steal home, and everybody <laughs> two was outs, like, right? Yeah, yeah, it was two outs, and everyone's going, "What the heck were you doing, dude? Like, what, what in your mind?" But uh, as we know, listen, Brett, he is the probably the best athlete, athletic person I've ever played with but not the sharpest tool in the shed so what could have been going through his head I wish I would have known because that was one of the more asinine things that you could do as a player it's like hey we have our best hitter up let's try to run into an out so he can't hit with the bases loaded see there Bautista or whoever was could have had more RBIs I think it was Bautista well yeah then, then I would have done better in our earlier debate it's a shame because I kind of had hopes of uh, having Brett Laurie on the podcast someday, but it looks like you just you're just burning that bridge right there with those comments. Not a chance. No, not a chance. Laurie would come on, and we we'd get Laurie on here. He, I mean, it's probably somebody who we should get on. Listen, he obviously he knows that he played with his freaking like a chicken with his head cut off, dude. That's what made him. Sp I saw the guy dive into the camera well in Yankee Stadium. I don't know if you remember this. The camera well was like six feet deep. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a camera well where it's just like, oh, you jump into it. Oh, it's the same field height. No, dude, this thing. I saw him like drop to his death. I thought, oh my gosh, he's dead. He is. And they had to talk to him like, hey, dude, we want you in the lineup every day. We need you in the lineup every day. So can we not jump to our death to try to catch a foul ball? We we'd much rather not catch the foul ball and have you in the lineup than. Yeah, a foul ball is a strike, Brett. It's fine. We'll take the strike. So he knows he knows that he played as a free-for-all, and we could ask him. We, one day we could ask him, hey, what was going through your head? Because I'm sure he has an explanation on his for his point of view, which uh, which would be interesting to hear. But, uh, I, man, I, I hate – not to go off on Brett, but I hate, I hate that he's not playing. This guy is one of the better baseball players that I've ever played with. Um, and I hope that at some point, man, he can kind of get back on the field because I think that he's too young and too talented. 
There's no doubt that he's a fun guy to watch, and I think uh, you know. I think we may have done some future podcast planning right there as we head into double digits next week. Uh, you know, we're starting to we're gonna get a big lineup of guests going. He maybe he's gonna be on it in the next little while. Yeah, well, we'll uh, I'll I'll send him a message and we'll see if he's uh, if he's willing and able to do it. Hopefully, he's able. Uh, willing we'll see uh so that's the end of our podcast for today hopefully you guys you know subscribe itunes google play wherever you're getting your podcasts you can find us digging in with jpr and sevia we look forward to seeing all y'all next time